Hey everyone, welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this is the podcast where we talk about surviving your nine to five. And if you're anything like me and most Americans, you have likely heard and or experienced burnout. It feels like a buzzword these days, but it is a topic worth examining. And in today's episode, I'm gonna break this up into three parts. In Act 1, I want to talk about burnout and how to define it. In Act 2, I am going to read one of my own essays that was previously featured on The Financial Diet, entitled The Burnout Red Flags I Didn't Notice Until I Took Off a Month of Work. A mouthful, but it's worth it. And finally, I just want to encourage everyone with three tips for protecting yourself when you are experiencing burnout. Now with that, let's get into the show. What is burnout? Well, according to Help Guide, burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive or prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demands. And if I were to put that in layman's terms, I would say burnout is when you are ready to rage quit your job, or you just want to plant your face on your desk and truly give up. It's usually one or the other, very little in between. But if those aren't the two things you're experiencing, here are some other signs that prove you could be going through burnout yourself. Feeling tired and drained most of the time, lowered immunity, frequent illnesses, sense of failure and self-doubt, feeling helpless, trapped and defeated, withdrawing from responsibilities and isolating yourself from others. When I go through that, that really just sounds like 2020 um, for most of us, but It is an issue. Burnout can lead to autoimmune issues, physical disorders, and more than anything, just a a mental deterioration. And I know for me, I have experienced it several times in my personal career. Well, I have experienced it several times in my career. And the reason I want to talk about it today is because it often is the destination we are most driving away from, but rarely do we talk about what it feels like when in it and what to do when experiencing it. And in addition to sharing tips on how to cope with burnout when you are experiencing it in real time, I want to share my personal experience. And while I could have, you know, definitely produced some new writing For this episode, I really kept returning to one of my most vulnerable pieces of writing, which was from March 2020, pre-pandemic, just a couple of days before um, things got really serious here in in Dallas. And this article is called uh, The Burnout Red Flags I Didn't Notice Until I Took a Month Off Work. You can read this on the Financial Diet I will also link it in the show notes. 
Um, we can. This can be like a like a reading rainbow. And with that, we're off. Last year, I was promoted to what felt like my dream job, a human resources program manager focused on culture and engagement. And in many ways, it was my dream job. I had an incredible empathetic manager who was mentoring me each week, and I was working alongside a true visionary CPO who was just as passionate about creating a safe and inclusive workplace in an otherwise Silicon Valley tech bro paradise. My projects focused on people and how to cultivate an authentic community at work, and I was beginning to see many programs that started out as post-it doodles turn into assignments with a real budget. For a long time, I didn't question what a job demanded of me outside of the hours of 9 to 5 or 7.50-ish a.m. to like 8.03 p.m. and 2.15 a.m. when I got up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and checked my email, if we're being honest. And I certainly didn't pause when I had free snacks and ping pong tables to indulge in. In retrospect, I sent the message to both myself and my employer that my mental health could be bought with recognition, promotions, and the idea of American success. I thought, you can't buy time, but you can always catch up on rest during the weekend. And it's that very thinking that landed me in a dark, emotional headspace. The promotion was the peak of what appeared to look like a meteoric climb at a hyper-growth company. But it also felt as though the higher I climbed, the more pressure I felt to be successful, to be high-achieving, to keep going, even when my body was telling me otherwise. I went from being an office manager to a regional people manager to a national program manager all within the first two years. I went from fetching the CEO his coffee when he came into town to visit to pitching him campaigns for the upcoming year. For a while, I was high on these fast-paced victories. Over time, I became addicted to those victories sacrificing time with my loved ones, my resources, and myself. Ultimately, I burned myself out. We often acknowledge the monetary cost of something that we deem a splurge. This new pantsuit will cost me X amount of dollars. And when we go a little further, we contemplate the time we could spend on something as a net cost. I can have my groceries delivered while I work on this report for my boss to save on time. But how often are we placing value in and determining the worth of our mental health currency? Hi, I am Jasmine Reed, and I am a recovering workaholic. Hi, Jasmine. Workaholism and work addiction are real. Dr. Mark Griffiths, one of the leading researchers on work addiction, has said that although the manifestations of workaholism are at the level of the individual, Workaholic behavior is socially acceptable and even encouraged by major organizations. And while there's not a clear-cut definition of workaholism, it is a phrase we use in a tongue-in-cheek way, and addiction does have six defining traits. Salience, mood modification, tolerance, withdrawal symptoms, conflict, and relapse, according to Griffiths. If you work to alter your mood, it's causing conflict in your life. This might be an issue for you. 
But even if you don't have a true addiction to work, an obsession with work can still lead to long-term burnout. I was in a zombie-like state, gulping espresso shots in the morning to distract my mind from the debilitating imposter syndrome, numbing my tongue with CBD oil to relieve post-meeting panic attacks, and taking back glasses of wine in the evening to unwind after a supersonic revolving door of meetings, complaints, edits, changes, and catering to everyone else around me except myself. Around August 2019, I slithered into a dark depression, a gloomy place I had known since middle school but hadn't visited in a couple of years. At first, I was in a high-functioning season of my depression. I was able to show up to work on time, perform my tasks, and have the energy to fake it. Over time, I was working from home more often as I didn't have the strength to do much more, and the panic attacks became more frequent on Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings, specifically. My mental illness manifested itself physically as my stomach and gut issues worsened, and I was getting the flu or a bad bug every month. I ultimately knew it had gotten out of hand when after Christmas break, I opened my laptop to work from home again and I vomited. It wasn't a coincidence. According to Harvard Health Publishing, a troubled intestine can send signals to the brain, just as a troubled brain can send signals to the gut. In other words, stomach issues can be the cause or the product of anxiety, stress, or depression. That's because the brain and the GI system are intimately connected. Based on these observations, you might expect that at least some patients with functional GI conditions might improve with therapy to reduce stress or treat anxiety or depression. I asked my manager about the resources available to me. While employee benefits and company policies can vary, it's custom for most companies to offer family medical leave or FMLA. FMLA is traditionally a period of unpaid leave up to 12 weeks where an employee will continue to have health benefits while they tend to a medical emergency or personal circumstances. In addition to mental health, FMLA is used for but not limited to caring for other serious conditions such as terminal illness or to care for an ill parent. And in January, I took one month of leave to focus on repairing my mental health. first week of my break resembled much of the same daily routine mentally. I was anxious if others were mad at me for prioritizing my mental health, a shame that I had revealed that I don't have it all together. Surprise, surprise. And my mind still felt incredibly polluted by self-doubt. I often wondered during that first week if I had just surrendered to a new prison. But I also knew from years of therapy and Brene Brown speeches, that it wasn't enough for me to be vulnerable and clap my hands clean. There had to be an intention behind my break. So I developed a plan to reflect, restore, and take daily action in my healing process. For the next few days, I observed myself and kept a list in my phone with a quasi-feelings chart, listing the emotions I most often felt throughout the day. Anxious, aka fearful. Insecure, a.k.a. fearful. Excited, a.k.a. surprised. Thankful, a.k.a. happy. And accomplished, a.k.a. happy. 
Under each feeling, I would write what event sparked that emotion and a subsequent bullet challenging myself to ask, is this factual and or something I can control? For example, when I wrote down anxious dash fear, I had a bullet underneath it reading, people at work think I'm not doing anything. And under that, I would write whether or not that was true. And in this instance, the truth was, I don't know this to be true. And I can't control what people think. For another example, I wrote down the emotion annoyed dash angry. The event that took place was person A said I was making a mistake by taking time off and that they just didn't get it and asked when I would be over it. Underneath the event that I detailed, I wrote, yes, this interaction did happen. That is a fact. And I controlled the situation by standing up for myself and letting them know they didn't have to understand my reasons for taking time away from work. Underneath it, I dug a little bit deeper and I wrote, it felt good to stand up for myself and my mental health. It felt isolating to know someone I consider a friend isn't supporting me also. And underneath that statement, I wrote, I can control how much energy I put into this friendship and what common bonds I want to share with friends. I went on to do this during the duration of my entire break. Within a couple of days, I had written evidence that most of the pressure in my life was, yeah, due to my diagnosed anxiety, sure, but also due to everyday toxicity that I had control over. Furthermore, I recorded small victories I achieved most days, but previously had overlooked. Pretty quickly, I had emotional data points to signal what my perfect day would look like, but also the things that I still had control over. Through the self-experiment, I found my preference and greatest pleasure is to start my day when it's still dark outside with coffee and a funny mug and doing a load of laundry. I am most proud of myself when I've been able to complete chores that both my partner and I benefit from as I feel I have accomplished something and performed an act of service, which is his love language. And I feel rested after a long walk with my dog while listening to a podcast. And with the positive, I also learned I do not accept micromanagement or working with larger-than-life personalities very well. I do not respond well to hostile communication styles. I am the laziest person alive if I do not have a to-do list for the day with a tight schedule of when to do it all. And I say yes to more things that don't interest me than activities that do. Ultimately, I saw just how codependent I had become on the expectations and ideas of other people. As a side dish to introspection, I also did things like adopt a skincare routine and get my hair done for the first time in five years. It's embarrassing to admit now, but I took honor in self-deprivation. Like, look at me, I'm so sacrificial that I don't even participate in basic self-care and hygiene. Now removed from that person, I can honestly testify that investing in your skin is investing in yourself. When I carve out time in my day for nothing and no one other than me, myself, and I, I am affirming, hey, 
You deserve my full attention. Nothing is as important as you are right now. And this time is precious, will be uninterrupted, and not compromised for anything else. I also began to work out again, cut back on drinking, and take time for hobbies I had abandoned, like story, like a storytelling class at my local comedy club and poetry writing. As simple as it sounds, American culture worships the idea of a hustle and grinder. And anything and everyone else not grinding is bound to end up as useless tumbleweed, wondering which way their dreams and goals went, apparently. It was only during this time that I had the courage to admit to myself that my dream and goals are simply to be content, live a slower-paced but meaningful lifestyle, and have the energy and time to travel, even if the destination is just Trader Joe's. And I want to be clear, I'm not blaming an employer or a job itself for my mental deterioration. Yes, I believe workplaces are triggering for people. Yes, I know firsthand office culture can facilitate and even encourage the behaviors we are all going to therapy to change. But for me specifically, I know I played a part in it as well. As an empath and someone with diagnosed anxiety and depression, it's a non-negotiable to my well-being to take a social and mental audit of the surroundings, people, and energy I allow to permeate my mental and physical space. In fact, my therapist and I worked tirelessly on boundary setting in the workplace a good year before my leave even occurred. And in that year, I kept making all the same small exceptions. I continued to compromise pinky swears I had made for myself. I insisted on helping with projects I had no business being on. Hashtag above my pay grade. But like a true addict, I kept lying to myself and justifying my actions until I hit rock bottom. During my leave, I had to sit with myself and uncover why I had overstepped my own boundaries when I knew what was at stake. I was driven by fear, but what was I afraid of? Not being liked? Being revealed as a fraud or an idiot? Being unworthy of time and attention? The sunken cost of pouring my soul into a company for years? As I flung myself into a sea of questions and swam through my own psyche, I needed to assign value to my mental health and honor it as something just as precious and tangible as a valuable possession. While I acknowledge a relapse of workaholism can happen, I am grateful to have a more crystallized perspective of who I am as Jasmine the person, not Jasmine the employee. I've been able to shed the layers of myself that soaked in the lie that self-love is earned and earned at work, no less. I've redefined success for myself. I came back from my leave to a supportive team of leaders and coworkers. But it would be remiss of me to waltz over the fact that I had many things going on at the company, including tenure and status. And I know the stigma of mental health and prioritizing it over marginal gains is taboo in our culture. Even writing this article, knowing it will be on my internet public record, I wonder if the self-preservation action I took will supersede and ultimately compromise a prospective employer's trust that I can be a reliable employee. I suppose time will tell. 
Spoiler alert, I end up working for myself. (laughs) And finally, in the last few minutes of today's episode, I do want to talk about three tips to protect yourself if you are currently feeling affected uh, by burnout. And my three tips, uh, I will say them and then I will expound upon them. First, know your physical warning signs. For me, it's in my shoulders and um, like a heat wave goes over my spine. It's helpful to understand when your brain is trying to signal to you, hey, pause or uh, get help. So number one is know the physical warning signs. Number two, have a short-term plan. And I don't mean short-term, like three weeks or three days, but what are the three things you can do when you are feeling the pressure of burnout? Do you have people you can speak to, even if it's a coworker who you, uh, you know, you barely know? Maybe it's a parent or a loved one. I know for me, my, when I say short-term plan, guys, I really do mean like three, two, one, my three, two, one plan. Um, one of my closest friends, I know I can talk to her, but obviously she also has a job. So in the times I can't get a hold of someone in my support network, I know one of the best things I can do is go on a walk or do a workout. Um, taking a shower can be so cathartic. Um, I really think for me, actually needing dough now that I work from home is really helpful. I sometimes need to step away from it all. Um, and when I'm burnt out and just extremely exhausted, I have to out loud give myself the permission to take a break. And I've learned to then surrender Uh, and let someone know, hey, I can't get this to you on time. Or I need more help. I need more resources in order to do a job well done. And the third is having a long-term plan. So if your other plan was three, two, one, this is more one, two, three. And what do you want to do to ensure that you aren't experiencing burnout every few weeks, months, or every year? What boundaries are you planning to put in place? How do you plan to enforce them? And how do you plan to keep yourself accountable? And how are you going to celebrate rest in your life and divorce yourself from hustle culture? If you are experiencing burnout, I really encourage you to speak with someone, to seek professional help, and to look into the different resources that you may have through your employer. Many have an employee assistance program. Um, You can talk to your HR provider about that and figure out what is available to you. If you are at a company that just does not have the resources Please ensure that you are putting a plan together. Burnout can lead to depression, again, so many diseases, and if nothing else, just a life that feels so empty. I know it firsthand. So have a plan to fill your cup back up. And with that, I will see you guys, or I guess talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye.